0: Hey friends, it's Jay. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Things I Should Have Said. Hey, I'm a pastor, and I just finished giving a talk on finding freedom from shame at Friends Church in Orange, and there's a bunch of stuff left unsaid. There's a bunch of stuff I wish I didn't say, and so this is a podcast for all the things I should have said. It's post-church, post-sermon, post-pastor, post-script. Before we get into all the things I should have said, can I tell you what happened this week? I had a few things that worked for me, and a few things that worked me. For instance... Thanksgiving was this past week, and we were hosting at my house, and my wife, who is a fantastic cook, loves to cook, was excited to cook for all of our friends and family that were coming over, and the morning of Thanksgiving, she woke up totally sick, like not get out of bed type of sick, and so that worked me, because I'm a terrible cook. What am I going to do? What I did is I went to a restaurant, I bought a bunch of food, I brought it back, and Thanksgiving was okay. Wasn't great. But it was okay. It worked me a little bit. But luckily, a few things worked for me. For instance, this past week, I finally got the chance to watch the brilliant documentary on Fred Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor. And it's been out for a while, but come on, I've got a toddler at home. I don't get to watch movies. But uh, because my wife was sick, we literally got a babysitter and we uh, stayed in. And we decided to watch a movie, and I don't, I don't know about you, but out of all the movies we could choose, we chose to watch the documentary on Fred Rogers. Talk about a hot date night. It was incredible, though. Have you seen it? You should see it, because that man is unique. There's literally no other guy in the world like him. And just like the rest of America, I grew up watching him. And as I became an adult, I questioned, what's wrong with this guy? because there's nobody's actually that nice. He's eccentric, he goes about things differently, and so I was just skeptical about who he was. And I don't know, we live in a culture where a lot of our heroes have been shown to be fakes and have really let us down, and so I just noticed myself as I was watching this documentary waiting to find out what's wrong with him, what's hiding in this guy's closet, And then I love that they went there in the documentary. They started talking about some of those things and all of the people closest to him that could have told us the skeletons in his closet said, no, he was unique. There was nobody like him, but he was the real deal. And so when I finished watching it, I was really inspired. So Fred Rogers, he was an ordained minister, and he went a completely different route to talk about the goodness of God and to help people connect to the goodness of God. Uh, You know, you know, Mr. Rogers, Uh, he used a children's program to really talk about loving your neighbor and loving yourself. And that's inspiring to see a guy who is willing to do it differently. And what I was really inspired by was he was a nice guy. I typically am not the nicest guy. I never have been. I've always been a little abrasive, always enjoyed being a little bit of a jerk. When I came to faith in Christ, one of the first things that he changed in my life is he gave me the vision that it's okay to be nice. I'd never thought of it before meeting Jesus, but I I felt like the first transformational message I got from the Holy Spirit in my life was, Jay, don't be a jerk. And so watching Mr. Rogers, he's like, He's like my hero when it comes to being a nice guy, because he really cared about people around him. And so I left watching that documentary last night, knowing that I was going to be preaching this morning. And I was inspired just to be nice, to be good, to let people breathe for a moment and experience just the goodness of God. And I, I came into today feeling kind and feeling honored to be able to talk about things that matter and point them to somebody who actually cares. That person, of course, being Jesus, who I've seen him be the only person that cares for me sometimes, and that's enough. And so it was good to point people that way. So it was out of watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on the tail end of my wife being sick that finally Sunday showed up. I had to get on stage, talk about Jesus, I said some stuff, and I left a whole lot unsaid. So let's talk. All week I've been thinking about why Judah was included in the genealogy of Jesus, right? That's what everybody thinks about all week. No, only pastors think about stupid questions like that. But no, I I knew that there was gold in that question, why Judah was included in the genealogy of Jesus. So I know that Judah has a checkered past. He's not a good dude. He's a gnarly guy. And so I was just thinking, man, out of the 12 brothers of Jacob, why in the genealogy of Jesus did God choose to use Judah for Jesus to come from? And the point that I tried to make was that Jesus didn't just come for sinners, he came from sinners. Yes, Jesus' genealogy is riddled with sinners, but it's a little far to say that he came from sinners because we all know he came from the right hand of God. He is God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is set apart. He truly is holier than thou. But what I was trying to say is when he entered in, to our world, and he had to come from some family. He could have chosen any family to come from. So why did he come from a family with so many just wretched, wrecked people? And that's when I realized he came from sinners because he came for sinners. And it would have been one thing just to come for sinners and to come at it from a very holier-than-thou point of view and reference, but instead he chose to just get in it And to come from a family line that is riddled with sinners. And for me, as I thought about that point, I found a lot of solace in that because my family, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, uh, there's a lot of bad apples in there. And sometimes that plagues me a little bit. Sometimes I feel a little counterfeit, a little bit like I'm not supposed to be here. Um, I look at some of my other friends that, Come from a, a place where their dad was a pastor and their his dad was a pastor, and it makes sense that they would be a pastor, and it's like I feel like they have a a leg up on me uh, and sometimes I just feel like, man, with where I've come from and what I've been through, i don't know, doesn't that disqualify me i I'd really feel that way i was literally I was just thinking the other night about why I don't pray as often as I should, and as I was thinking about it, I realized sometimes I don't, I don't feel like I, I deserve it. Not necessarily because of anything I've done, but there's just something in me where I just feel like I don't deserve God to answer my prayers. And so this idea that Jesus came from sinners, it encourages me. It makes me feel united with him, uh, bonded with him, and it makes me love him more. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Another thing that I talked about is that Jesus came to free us from our shame. Talked about how secrets enslave us with shame, but the unmerited grace of Jesus frees us. And yes, it's true. I believe that Jesus can free us from shame. But what I didn't get a chance to say, because I only had 30 minutes to talk today, I didn't have the chance to say that Jesus can free us from our shame, but he doesn't always free us from our consequences. And that's a big deal because at the end of my message, I came to this point of application and I told people to stop hiding and start confessing. And I've got to be honest, when I said that, I only talked about half of it because I knew I couldn't talk about everything because I knew I didn't have enough time. There'd be too many things that I just couldn't say. So yes, Jesus can free us from our shame, but he doesn't necessarily always free us from our consequences. And so when I was talking with my people this morning, I gave them the application to stop hiding and start confessing. But because I didn't have enough time, I couldn't really talk about what all that meant. And so I only had to give them half of it. And so the way I put it was, hey, stop hiding from God and start confessing to God. And that's good. That is absolutely the first step in it. We know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, That it tells us that if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. That is the first step. However, it goes one step beyond that. And I didn't even want to touch this because there's so much uh, in in this. This is just a big ball of worms that I didn't have time to unpack. The Bible goes on and in James chapter 5 verse 16, it tells us to confess to one another and be healed. It says, so then confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. And that's the second part of confessing. So first, we need to confess to God. And that starts to release us from the shame that has been created by the secret that we've been holding on to for so long. But then, Jesus calls us to go one step further and to confess to one another And that is where it gets scary. That's where things can go wrong. And you can't just drop that on a congregation and leave them without talking about some of the other things. Like, for instance, we know in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus tells us that when we stand and pray, we need to forgive anything uh, that anyone has done against us so that our Heavenly Father will forgive the wrongs that we have done. So... If we are going to confess to someone, we need to make sure that they're trustworthy. We need to be able to discern that they're the types of people that really understand that they've been forgiven by God so that they will forgive us. And not everybody will do that. And it is so detrimental to confess your sin to God and have this sense of freedom from just opening yourself up to him, knowing that he is faithful to forgive and to purify. And then you take it one step further and you confess to someone else. And when you're met with condemnation from that person, that can crush you. That can just pile shame upon shame. That's already there. But if you confess to the right person, to the type of person that is willing to hear your story, respond with empathy, respond with understanding, say to you, I, I feel you, I understand that, and accept you in, then that destroys shame. And that's what God wants from us. And that's why he is so straightforward with us when he says, listen, if you don't forgive your brother who sins against you, I'm not going to forgive you. <laughs> because that's that's how it works. If he's going to bring healing to his people, we need to not only receive freedom and forgiveness from God, but we need to be a part of that restoration process where we're willing to forgive other people because that's how our forgiveness is made complete. That's how we get to a place where our shame is completely destroyed. When we're in a place where we've come before God, we're not running from him, we're not hiding from him anymore, and we just we just say, this is who I am. This is who I am, God. Take it or leave it. What are you going to do with me? And then we realize in our soul that our God forgives us, he purifies us, and he's got a purpose and future for us, we start to be released from that shame that that secret has been holding us captive with for too long. But if we don't take it another step, it's incomplete. And we might even find ourselves going back to that compulsory place where we're just doing the same behavior over and over. It's not until we get to a place where we find somebody that we can trust, that we know they're the real deal. They've been forgiven by Jesus. They know they've been forgiven. They forgive other people. And when we can trust them to that level, somebody there, and share our story with them, and we hear, we actually get to hear the words, I get it. You're okay. That's what we receive in our souls in prayer from God, but it's like we need to hear another person saying that to us to actually be forgiven and set free to its fullest. And so, I only got to say half of that, uh, and that's why I didn't want to get in my car and drive home and just think, man, I needed to say more. So listen, I get it. It's not easy. It's hard. Can I just tell you how I felt as I was preparing for this message and even more as I was delivering this message to my people? I felt this weight. At the end of my message, when I'm talking about the story of Judah, and how his life ends with blessing and honor. I lost it. I broke down on stage. And the, the reason I broke down on stage, there was two different reasons. And it happened at two different points in two different messages in two different services. But the first time I broke down, I broke down because I was looking into people's eyes as I was talking. And I could tell there was a connection I could tell there was a connection that was happening. And it just hit me, the weight of how painful shame really is. I could feel the pain in the room as I was talking about shame and as I was talking about Jesus and his ability to release us from that shame, I could feel that people wanted that so badly and it just broke my heart and I started weeping right there on stage. I hate to cry in front of people. That's the last thing I want to do. I didn't plan on that. I didn't know this was going to be an emotional moment in the message, but it just hit me right there on stage. Shame is painful and being held captive by a secret, it can destroy people. And I just had compassion unleashed, wanting for people to find freedom. And as I stepped off of stage, you know what I remembered? I remembered the documentary that I watched just the night before, where Fred Rogers was looking at the world around him and he's like, this is so difficult, life is so hard. We need to help guide people through all of this heartache and all of these tough emotions. And I heard him say that, and I thought, yeah, I want to do that. And then I got to experience that. I got this very real moment today where as I was leaving the stage, I could tell I connected with people about a subject that was so hard and when they felt so lost. And I was able to at least point them towards a person that could take them the next step on that journey. And it felt good. It felt good to be kind. And uh, I just feel even more tied to Jesus and wanting to be a little more like Fred Rogers for what it's worth. So here's one thing that I'm always aware of. Anytime I get on stage and I open up a story from the Bible, I'm aware that there's somebody in the audience who has lived that story. Right? Maybe not the exact same story, but all the themes, all the way that God works, there's people in the room where that has happened. Right after the message, a lot of people came up to me and were praying, and it was amazing how the story of Judah mirrored so many stories of people in our congregation. And there's one guy, and I just thought, man, this guy, he's, he's lived it. And so I asked him, hey, would you share your story with everyone else? Would you come on the podcast and let us know? He is a he's a young man who has been given uh, a great leadership opportunity amongst his peers. He's also been given great ministry opportunity. With the least of these, he runs a great church for homeless people. And if you just met him today, you'd be like, "Whoa, this guy! This guy's like blessed by God, and he's really anointed by God to do God's work." Uh, but he can tell you that if you met him, I don't know, five years ago, it would be a different story. Left to his own devices, he was a mess. He was hiding a secret, he was covered in shame, and if it wasn't for Jesus, he would be stuck there. But Jesus entered in and did his work. And so I want you to hear from Alexio Gomez. You're about to hear a real story from a real person, and real things often get messy. And so I want to give you a heads up that this story will touch on suicide. Uh, We'll have a frank discussion on it. And so if that's a trigger for you, I would just want to let you know before heading into this story. But it's a good story that ends well. So Alexio, I've known you for about a year now. I've gotten a chance to see you with people in ministry, and uh, to be honest, bro, you're pretty impressive, but I didn't know you five years ago, and as you started to tell me your story, I realized that, man, you know what it's like to have a secret, to hide, to have to deal with the heaviness of shame, but then also to find freedom in Jesus, but I know it wasn't easy along the way. And so I wanted to ask you to take us back and tell us what that was like for you. Yeah, it's uh, still not easy to
1: talk about. Um, I wish I could say that. Yeah, it's completely in my past and I don't care. But I even remember first getting involved at church here and I was so nervous Eventually, if I wanted to start plugging in and getting involved and hanging out with you and the staff here, I was going to have to tell Jay my story. And I didn't know how you're going to react to that. But, you know, after hearing your message today, it just reinforces how I was met with grace. And that is like a counterweight to the weight of shame that I had. Uh, I thought I was a pretty good guy. I thought around the age 18, I was a good kid at all other different, different kinds of levels even. I was a good kid. I was a good kid at school, a good brother. I don't know. If I was a dad and I could choose a son, I might choose myself to have. <laughs> that sounds really weird. But the idea is, I, I I was always confused about why Jesus had to die on the cross for my sins. Like, why does he have to die for that? That's a little intense. Like, okay, I get it. I fibbed. I lied. I made some people upset. But to die is intense. Yeah,
0: you didn't murder anybody. You didn't ruin anybody's life.
1: No. And, and so that's, that's, that that was always kind of a confusion for me, but I I said, okay, cool. You know, I get it. I'm a sinner and, and it made it super theological, right? This whole like super relationship that we don't know about. But as I kept living, I started making more and more bad choices and more and more mistakes. And at first it was hidden, you know, in, in the, in the privacy of my own room. I, I struggled with porn, uh, like a lot of young men, uh, in our, in our day, and uh that eventually developed itself into actions, and I remember when I was nineteen years old i uh started hanging around with the, a, a weird crowd in the church, people that were really critical of the church and uh they they uh the conversations always were like, "Oh man, these people are such hypocrites, but at the same time, it was often them that were being hypocritical too sure yeah and uh one, one night I was hanging out with, uh, with an older woman and she had always been sweet on me and my brother. Oh, those, those, those brothers, those, those good looking brothers. And I, I, I loved the attention. Uh, she was a lot older than us.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and for all of you that are not looking at Alexio right now, he's a good-looking man. He's not going to say it himself, but he and his brother both on uh, American Ninja Warrior, they're they're fit, they're in shape, uh, they're Brazilian, and so just let your imagine do what it will with that, but a good-looking man <laughs> right here. Okay, enough of that. This is getting creepy. Keep going. Tell me what happened. Okay,
1: well, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I got attention um, from her, and we started hanging out, and we started hanging out at little you know church hangouts, and there were other people there, and uh, I remember a couple of nights they actually had alcohol there, and I was I was younger, I was underage, and I wouldn't drink because you know I'm this good guy, this good Christian guy, so I'm not going to drink, I'm I'm not 21, but um, I was. I was leading in and pressing in into this attention from this older woman, eventually led to us sitting on the couch together. And I, I just felt her hand come over to my side. And I was like, oh, she likes me. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just talk. She actually likes me. And, uh, I, you know, I grabbed her hand too. And that, that sparked this kind of this intense feeling in me that somebody really, really wanted to be with me.
0: Yeah, but I mean, what's the big deal? My, my wife's older than I am. So an old, older woman is showing you some attention.
1: You know, I, I think I don't, we don't realize it, but even, even in the porn industry, they, they, they romanticize this idea of a young man getting an older woman. And it's, and it's the idea of you, you getting something that you shouldn't have. It's another man's woman. And this woman was married.
0: Oh yeah. That ups the stakes right there.
1: Yeah, it does. Okay, And so I I found myself in, in a pretty sticky situation. Um, I, I, uh, one thing led to another. I got her number, she got mine and it was even that night she was like, Hey, the party doesn't have to stop here. Uh, let's hang out. And so we drove, uh, we left the house and we found ourselves at a park and that's where I lost my virginity. Hmm. to That's a married intense. woman
0: intense yeah and then what happened
1: reality hit oh my gosh oh my gosh please don't tell anyone my husband can't know oh my gosh oh my gosh and i'm i'm a i'm you know I'm, I'm not naive i know what just happened i i made my choices and i was like okay no it's cool it's fine whatever um i won't tell anybody and so i i hid i i pretended like as if life was normal still And weeks and weeks went on, and I was in church. I was pretty involved at the church at the time. I was in the band playing drums, and her brother at the time, which was my worship pastor, (laughs) her brother came up to me one day in tears and said, I think my sister is cheating on her husband, and he tells this to me.
0: Man, what did that feel like?
1: I felt like such a fake I felt so fake because I was standing in front of him. He was crying his eyes out and I cared about this guy, but I knew that I I destroyed his family. I hurt him deeply. And all I could do was I couldn't even, I couldn't speak. I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And poor guy, he thinks this guy really cares about me. He's crying his eyes out, right? I'm an an open ear to listen to him. And I'm crying because I'm guilty. Mm. And I'm the guy that, that ruined this marriage
0: and the, the secret's not out at this point. You're holding the secret. Nobody knows but you can see what's coming
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm i'm hiding this i'm i'm calm and collected and uh, my brother doesn't know nobody knows i haven't told a single soul and I that was my biggest fear if someone were to find this out, I would be ruined and I, I wouldn't find, I wouldn't have a place to stay. I, I was terrified because I knew how my family rolled. We were good people. We were good stand-up people in the church. We served. We, we gave tithe. And there was, there was nothing wrong with the Gomez family.
0: Yeah, and family loyalty is big to you guys, right?
1: It's huge. It's, it's everything for us. We always stand beside our family. And, and that's how my mom always raised us. And so that, that's what really matters is taking care of each other as a family when this when eventually this does come out, I'm, I'm, it's a normal morning, a year later, and I'd been running around, not telling a, a, a soul. I was still involved with the church, but now at this point, my guilt had taken over so much that I, it pushed me, my own self, out. I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to take opportunities. Um, and people were confused. My mom was frustrated. What's going on? What's going on? And I felt this guilt, but I thought maybe my life would just keep going it's fine. No one's gonna ever find out. And then I got a call from a number. I didn't know. Never pick up phone numbers. You don't know. (laughs) And who is it? It's her, it's her husband.
0: Dang. What, what did he say?
1: Her husband just lost it on me. He's like, is this, is this Alexio? I was like, yes, this is Alexio. And he just just started dropping every kind of word, curse word you could think of, four-letter words, five-letter words. He made his up made up his own words, yelled at me in a different language. And I, I, all I wanted to say was sorry. I was trying to speak, but I couldn't. He was like, I don't want to hear it. It's too late. It's over. You need to tell everybody. You need to tell your brother. You need to tell the pastor. You need to tell the whole church what you did.
0: Yeah, because I'm sure he's thinking, you've ruined my marriage, and now I'm going to ruin your life by making sure everybody knows this and yeah, making sure you get yours.
1: And I didn't know what to tell him at the time because his hatred, I'm trying to, to rationalize it even in my own head. I would be mad. I would be angry. I would be upset. I'm, I'm furious. This kid, this kid fooled around with my wife. It's not his to have. And he took. And so I did exactly what he said. I called my brother. I told him and he didn't know how to take that he he just told me I, I gotta let you go now and he he hung up on me and i'm still a mess in my house i called the worship pastor and I, I told him what i did and he obviously felt betrayed by me i i was lying to his face for a long time and he hung up the phone with me and that's something that still haunts me to this day because we haven't been able to have a genuine conversation since that conversation on the phone. I was in a panic and my, my, I, uh, I basically was home alone. I was crying my eyes out. Uh, I was scared he was going to come over to, to hurt me. So, uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta make sure I protect myself. So I was like, I'm going to be a smart guy. I'm going to go get my dad's gun and just watch, hold the Ford down. I held the Ford down at holding the, the gun at the front door. And I'm like, what is going on? My life is in, is in the complete disarray. Just a second ago, I was a fine, good kid. And now I got a gun in my hand. I'm waiting to like shoot someone that's going to walk through the door. And, um, as I sat there, I just realized I am, I'm not a good guy. I'm a bad guy. And this is the one thing I never wanted to be. I didn't want to be a bad guy. And I I actually thought the only hope for me, the only hope that I could maybe flip this whole script around, and maybe people could think of me still as a good guy, is if I take my own life. Hmm. Because if I do, then people will feel sorry for me and they'll think maybe we should have listened to him or maybe he was under pressure or stress because we had added upon the situation. And so suicide was, a, was an idea that, that generally made, it felt like it was gonna save my story. But as I sat there, I got a call from my dad. And, and me and my dad, we're, we're, we're friends, but we're not like super tight. It's kind of like a strange relationship. And he just calls me out of the blue. And he's like, hello? And I'm like, hey. And he can tell, like I'm crying on the other end of the phone. He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I just blurted it all out to my dad right there um, more than anyone else. I I gave him details. I explained everything that happened. He was shocked. And he said, I'm coming home right now. He sent me to New Jersey. I left the state for two weeks. When I came back, I had a conversation with the head pastor of the church and executive pastor. And they told me to leave.
0: And what did it feel like to be face to face with pastors and to be dismissed?
1: To be honest, it, it felt like they were right. At that moment, I, I thought, these guys are right about me. I'm nothing but trouble. I'm no good. I'm a, I'm a hindrance to the church. I should get kicked out. And I had no excuse. And it just reinf- reinstated in me that I should be afraid, that I should hide, that I have something to be ashamed of. And that's, that's why I turned my back on the church for a long time because I thought there's nothing there they can provide me for, right? Some, some people have slogans, you know, all the time, like, no perfect people allowed, right? Yeah. But that kind of breaks down when you have a 19-year-old kid in front of you in your office, and he's crying his eyes out because he committed adultery, and guess what? You're not allowed. You're just a little too messy for us. Hmm. We could handle maybe middle-class society Their kids aren't getting along, but when it comes to somebody committing adultery or these things, no, this is too messy. Leave. Yeah, I left and uh, I would still be, I wouldn't have any kind of relationship with the church if it wasn't for um, honestly God pursuing me regardless of how sinful and shameful I felt. And uh, at school, I I, I left my town. I was like a couple hours away north and I I, I could be anybody I wanted to be again. And I thought that was the solution, you know, just run away, make your own name. Um, But I just had all these tensions still with my family back at home. My brother even said that he he didn't feel like he could trust me because he was married at the time. And he didn't want to, like, leave me in the same, like, environment. That really hurt me, you know. A lot my family kind of, like, made some space with me. And at, 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 a, <laughs> at college, I was hungry. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have much money in my um, – I'd, I'd gotten all my loans so that I could pay for my schooling. And one morning, Sunday morning, I was starving. And I was like, man, I know a church down the street that gives free breakfast. So I went to that church. Got myself some free breakfast, some bagels, and I, I actually did that for two weekends. And then on the third weekend, I was going in there, grabbing my breakfast, and the pastor had seen this kid grab breakfast three weekends in a row. He came out. He was on stage doing announcements. He came out, and he's like, hey, you going to come in?
0: Oh, so you were grabbing food and not even going in? No, You're not just even grabbing going. and running, just dining, gra- <laughs> dining and ditching. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, at church. You know, just grabbing the breakfast they have laid out for their first first time guests, but I was never going to stay. So I was grabbing food and leaving and he, he comes out. He's like, hey, you're going to come in. And I'm like, uh, sure. I sit in, listen to his message. He invites me over. I, he he uh, actually starts this relationship with him and I'm very hesitant. I'm like, no, man, I don't want to talk. And he's just trying to interact with me. He invites me over to his house. I meet his family. And I keep telling him, like, I, I you know, I, I uh, have weird feelings about the church. And through this relationship, he eventually gets my story out. And his response to my story is really what saved me. Um, I told him my whole story in his car. He was dropping me off at my dorm, and he just started crying. And he said, I'm so sorry. And that shook me. I'm so sorry, Alexio, that that happened to you. And I had always felt like I was the one that needed to say sorry but when he on behalf of the church said sorry that's a moment i'll never forget and that's that's the moment that i was i was i was met with grace in my shame and i i, I decided i didn't need to hide anymore because here's this pastor this guy that believes in jesus this guy that believes in the idea that when jesus died He rises from the grave and he shows that he's victorious over sin. He's victorious over shame. I always remember Jesus naked on the cross. People like forget Jesus was naked on the cross and how embarrassing and shameful that was. And Jesus takes the shame for us. And I don't have to be filled with shame anymore about my sin because he had to die. If anyone, he had to die for me. He had to die for me because my sin was worth death. I I looked in the Bible. I was like looking through the whole Levitical law for all the stuff that what happens with with an adulterer. And man, my blood was upon my head. The guy didn't have to give me forgiveness. He I don't, I don't deserve it. The truth is though, Jesus like he beautifully shows mercy. He shows that the the plan all along was grace. And that's why I love the story in Genesis that you share, because even from the first book of the Bible, God's plan was, I'm going to meet these people in the middle of their mess, and I'm going to give them grace.
0: So Alexio, you truly know how crushing shame is. Yeah, I mean, when your secret came out, the only option you saw was to end it. Mm-hmm. Because at the very core of who you are, you were... You concluded that I am bad. Yeah. And that is the very definition of shame. And that once everybody sees how bad you are, they'll all reject you. And you got two different responses. Your father calls out of the blue and is loyal to you and takes care of you and protects you, gets you away to another city, helps you regroup. Uh, but then your spiritual family, the church, doesn't meet you with that same grace. And I do want to be careful here. As a pastor, uh, that would be a, a hard position to be in, right? How do we how do we create a healthy family environment? How do we deal with this? Yeah. And maybe that would be a, a good future episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do know the way they responded to you just pushed you back into that shame. You did experience the rejection. Uh, But it wasn't until God sent another pastor to give you another experience that you were finally freed from that shame. And Mm. I have watched God rehabilitate you. Mm. I have watched him uh, take you from a place where you feel like, oh, maybe I'm disqualified from ministry and you weren't entering into ministry to then kind of timidly coming around, not sure how... I was going to respond to your story and it's an intense story. But at the same time, I know I stand on stage. I preach God's word and I know that there are so many things that I've done in my life that would disqualify me from that without the grace of Jesus. And so I know that as he is redeeming me and freeing me, he's doing the same thing in you. And so I am so glad that God doesn't give up. That God continued to pursue you and is speaking into the very core of you that, yes, you're sinful and don't think that you're not. However, I love you because at the core of you, you're my child and you will always be my child and I can deal with the sin. And I can build you up to be a strong man of God. And I believe that you have got a great future, not just in ministry, but in life and with the relationships around you and the families that you'll build and build up. And so I'm really, I feel blessed that you're a part of Friends Church and I look forward to rooting you on in the future.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I completely understand that shame is an emotion that every human has to face at one point or another. And I understand how crippling it can become and how it can enslave. And so I wanna do anything I can to be helpful. And here is my one idea of how I might be able to help you. If you've got a secret and you're not ready to tell anybody about it, uh, but you know that it is just enslaving you, uh, why don't you email me? And why don't you tell me in an email what's going on? You don't have to sign your name. You don't have to tell me who you are. I'm not even going to respond to it. Uh, But why don't you see me as a safe place, as someone who you can at least take the first step? towards getting freedom from shame. It's going to take a lot more than that. There's going to be many more steps. You're going to need to find spiritually mature people who understand that they've been forgiven by Jesus and so are willing to extend the same grace. Uh, But I can help you at least with the first step. So go to jhewitt.org. There's a place where you can contact me there. And just let me know what you've been hiding and see after you hit send if you receive a level of freedom, and if you do, then I want to encourage you to keep following that freedom and keep following it to where Jesus leads you, which I believe will be to a place where you're fully alive, fully free, and that you will be finding a way out from whatever place you've found yourself in. If you'd like this episode, please help me out by leaving a review on iTunes and subscribing to this podcast tune in every other week. Also, check out my YouTube channel for weekly inspiration to become fully alive. Stay in touch and follow me on Instagram or come visit me in person at my church. And if you'd like to hear the sermon we deconstructed today, go to friends.church. Well, there it is, the things I should have said. I'm going to need to do this again next week. Count on it.